Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Amen. As we continue to worship today, declaring the worthy holiness of our God, let me invite you to take the Word of God, open the Word of God, and find in the Word of God Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 is going to be the back half of your New Testament, as you find that in your Bible. And as you're finding Hebrews chapter 1, let me also encourage you today, if you have not grabbed one just yet, um, we do provide, when we do a new book series, these scripture journals. Um, There's no greater resource that that we can gift you as a church family than the Word of God. And so this is the entire text of the Word of Hebrews. You can find it all in there. There's also pages for you to take notes and follow along. So as we go through the book of Hebrews together, I would love for you to have this and go throughout the Word of God on your own throughout the week. There's no substitute for time in the Word of God. And so use this, let it be a resource to you, and let it be a gift from, from our church family to yours as we walk through the Word of God and study it together. Now as we jump into Hebrews... Hebrews is a very powerful letter about persevering in the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. And there's a very simple and yet very profound theme that's going to run throughout the book of Hebrews. It's going to be very simple. It says this, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. The word better will appear in Hebrews more than any other book in the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus we read today, he's better than the angels. Hebrews chapter 3, he is better than Moses. Hebrews 4 and 5, he is better than Aaron. Hebrews 7, he's a better priest than Levi. Hebrews chapter 8, he is the covenant that is better than the covenant of old. Hebrews 9, his sacrifice and his temple, it is way better than the old system that God had sustained because he fulfilled it over and over and over again. You read, Jesus is better. He is greater. He is more worthy. Why? Why does the the Word of God intentionally show us this? To show us that from everything that came before Him to everything that will ever come after Him, Jesus is incomparably better. There's no competition for Christ. As we said around here before, He's 1-0 against every single enemy that's ever come against Him. He remains undefeated. He is categorically incomparable. And so I would challenge you with this. If you are unsatisfied unfulfilled, feel like there's a hole, feel like there's something missing in your life, it's because you don't have enough of Jesus and he doesn't have enough of you. He is better. So with that, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Hebrews chapter 1, as we submit and honor his word in our place today, it says in verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So we know God spoke at many times in many ways through revelation, um, through the prophets, through his word as he spoke to us, as spoke to our prophets. But in the last days, verse 2, he has spoken to us by his son. So God still speaks, but he spoke now through his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Because in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Now, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians chapter 1 being a great reference to that, and after making purification for sins, watch this, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. 
This is the word of God. Let's pray and ask God to use it as we submit and surrender to his authority today. Father, we thank you for the joy set before us. Thank you for the joy of gathering, the joy of submitting and surrendering as the body, joy beholding your glory, Jesus, the power of your salvation, and the power of your sanctification. And I pray right now the word of God will do the work of God as we walk into the will of God, submitting to the ways of God. Speak, Lord Jesus, right now for your servants are listening. It's in Christ's name that we pray. God, sure it says today, amen. As you find your seat, keep the word of God open. Also find the back of your worship God today. We'll plug in some things as we walk through the word of God. And as we think about the Hebrews text, it's going to be a lot of reference to the Old Testament. And I love that. God will show us that, that the old is always going to be completed by the new, that Christ is the fulfillment of the old. And so in the Old Testament, there, there were three separate men who received an anointing. They would receive an anointing for service from God to serve the Lord. They were the prophets, they were the priests, and they were the kings. Those were the three men that served the Lord in an official role through an anointing. And throughout the Old Testament, there was always this promised Messiah who would come and fulfill all three. There would come a greater prophet. There would come a greater priest. And they would come a greater king. That was the promise of the Messiah, the anointed one, all throughout the text. And Hebrews introduces us to that person, and his name is Jesus. He is our perfect priest. He is our perfect prophet. He is our perfect king. And we see two things here in Hebrews chapter 1. We see, first of all, the sufficiency of Christ. We see the sufficiency of Christ. Go back to our text, verse 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And what does he do? He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then after this, after making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty, that being God the Father, King on high. So right at the gate, verses 1 through 3, we, we see that, that God had to speak for us to ever know who he is. All right, we were unavailable. We, we were unwilling. We, we were unable to know who God was. And so God had to speak to reveal himself. God had to speak to reveal our sin. God had to speak to, to reveal our Savior. God had to speak to reveal the, the process of salvation that invites us to be saved. God had to speak for us to ever know who he was. We would never know God if he never revealed himself to us. All right, we're prone to disaster, we're prone to destruction, we're, we're prone to sin. And so God had to awaken us through the spoken word of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells that the word of God is folly, it is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who don't believe, the word of God, it is not appetizing, the word of God is not intriguing, the word of God makes no sense because they have scales over their eyes. They're dead in sin, they're in no way enabled to awaken themselves, and so God had to speak. And how did God speak? It says he spoke prophets of old, he spoke in many ways at many times, and you remember God would speak through miracles, God would speak through signs and wonders, God would speak through prophets, God even spoke through a, a man's donkey one time, right, which if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through anyone, and so we see God can speak at all times and all places in many ways and in many cases to reveal himself to us, and so we understand that God has revealed himself in two ways, the spoken word of God and the person of Jesus, 
Those are the only ways that God has communicated Himself to us, revealed Himself to us, is through His living Word, His spoken Word that you have right here, and also the person of Christ. And here's what that means. We cannot know God unless we know Jesus. Jesus is God, and we cannot know God unless we know Jesus. The Old Testament, it was an anticipation of the Messiahship of Jesus, and the New Testament is the application of the ministry of Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament was anticipating the Messiah, and everything in the New Testament is applying the ministry of the anointed one to come. And so the Old Testament, absolutely authoritative, There's no question about the Old Testament. That's why we study the Old Testament. So we did a whole series of Nehemiah because the word of God from in the beginning to amen is authoritative. It is right for counsel. It's right to show us and instruct us how to live for God. And so the Old Testament is absolutely authoritative, but it needed a complete conclusion. It was always pointing to the one to come. And who is that one who came? Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of all that God promised. Christ is the one who came to fulfill all that God had spoken. Jesus, he is the perfect revelation of God. The exact imprint of his nature. So we read that he is the exact representation of God. He has the power to speak the universe into existence. He holds the universe together by his hands. He is the heir that all God possesses. It belongs to the Son, and he is the radiance of the glory of God. The infinite worth of God is found in the infinite humanity of Jesus. It's powerful. The person we're being introduced to, it is powerful. This is who Jesus is. He's our prophet that reveals God. But not only is he our prophet who reveals God, he is our priest who reconciles us to God. Now, where do you get that? Well, verse 3 makes it very plain and clear that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. It upholds the universe by the word of his power. But watch this. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. And here's some Old Testament history for us. In the Jewish temple, there were two rooms. You had the holy place, and you had the holy of holies. And the holy of holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the Ark of the Covenant was the place where God chose to dwell among his people. That was God's presence right there within the temple in the middle of the camp of Israel. God would dwell with his people right there in the Ark. And so the holy of holies was the place where God met with man. It's a place where God met with man. And so on top of the Ark was the mercy seat, and on, next to the mercy seat, that, that's where the cherubim, the, the seraphim, they, they would stand, those two angels, like guards to the entrance of the presence of God. But because God was so holy, because his presence was never just to be entered casually, there was only one person who could enter one time a year on one day a year as God invited him, that being the day of atonement. And so what they would do is the high priest would go into the presence of God. The high priest would take the blood of the sacrifice. The high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat of God, asking for forgiveness, asking for mercy over the sins of the whole entire nation of people. And God would see, not not their sin, God would look down and see the blood of an animal, the blood of a sacrifice. So when God saw the mercy that he offered, he saw forgiveness. This is what the high priest would do because sin was paid for but it was never paid in full. They had to do this over and over and over again. Back in the day, not even before me a little bit, there, there was a thing called layaway. It was a layaway program. 
And if you wanted something that was really nice or wanted something that you didn't quite have all the funds for, you could go to a department store or go to any store and say, hey, I want to put this item on layaway. And what they would do is set up a payment, payment program for you to pay for the item, and they would hold the item for you in stock. So, all right, we've got this massive TV. We're going to hold this for you in the stock room, and every month you're going to pay for it. And once you pay for it in full, then we'll give it to you. All right, the Old Testament, this priestly system, it was God's layaway program. It was never paid in full. It was always something the priest would have to go into over and over and over again to pay for the sins of the people because the work of the priest was never finished. He had to keep paying for sins. Had to keep asking for atonement. He had to atone for sins here, atone for sins there, but he could never make the payment in full because there was no permanent solution to the problem of sin until verse 3. Because we read that Jesus, he came, and what did he do? After making purification for sins, he sat down. When do you sit down? When you're done. When you're done with something, task completed, fulfilled, done for, you sit down. Jesus said, I've done it. The system is complete. Sins are paid for once for all. I'm going to sit down on a throne because my glory has been received. My glory has been achieved. Sin has been paid for in full. Because when you go read the Old Testament, you know what you never find in the temple anywhere whatsoever? A chair. There's no chair. There's no chair for the priest to sit down because his work was never finished. But all of a sudden, when Jesus paid for our sins, when he was the substitute who died in our place, when God looked down and saw not our sin, but the blood of a Savior in our place for us, he sat down because a chair entered into heaven. Praise God, he finished what we could never do for us. Praise God, he took our place. Praise God that when Jesus said, it is finished, his last words, the debt was paid in full. Sin was forgiven, and we were fully, freely forever forgiven in Jesus' name. He is our representative that reconciles us to the Father. About a decade ago, Leslie Prothro, who's serving right now our kids' ministry, Cody's wife, her parents asked us, that's Carrie and Ruth Walker, they've moved up to Bentonville since then, but they asked us to house-sit for them when they went on vacation. So we went over, me and my wife, to house-sit. We took care of their teenage daughter, made sure she was okay when I was student pastor here. And they had us not only take care of the house, take care of the daughter, they also had two hunting dogs that we were responsible for as well. And so I would take care of the dogs, and one day I went to go to the kennel to check on these two hunting dogs. And when I walked to the kennel, one was staying in his doghouse and the other was going crazy. I was like, that's, that's kind of unusual. I'm here to feed the dogs, and both dogs aren't coming out. So I go to check on that dog. And when I walk and, and check on that dog in his little doghouse within the kennel, the dog is dead. Somehow, some way, I'm responsible for a house, I'm responsible for a child, and I'm responsible for two dogs. And when a dog has died on my watch, so I do the only thing I know to do, I call the son-in-law, I call Pastor Cody Prothrone. I'm like, listen, man, we got a big problem on our hands. I got a dead dog. Right, Your father-in-law trusted me, and it's time for me to, to take care of the situation. So Cody came over, we assessed the situation, and he, it gets worse. The dog is stuck in the doghouse. Can't get it out. He's dead dead. Right? I don't know how long he's been dead. He probably died before they left, but he, they left me with this. He's dead dead. And what's worse, the kennel has a gate. That, that doghouse is too wide for the kennel, for the gate. We can't get the doghouse out. So now we're stuck. we got a dead dog. we got a doghouse too wide for the gate. And so the only thing we know to do at this point is to lift the kennel and throw the kennel over the side of the fence. 
So we do that. And there's a dead dog still inside the kennel or the doghouse the entire time. And so at this point, we're like, okay, we can't get the dog out. The doghouse did not break upon severe impact. What are we going to do? We put the doghouse on the truck bed, roll the truck out to the backside of their property in the woods, and just drop it in a ditch. And so what happened is that we didn't call the father because we wanted him to enjoy his vacation. Well, we'll take care of this when he gets home. But here's what I love. What I did is I called upon the son to stand in my place. Because when the father, now, yeah, all right. <laughs> Y'all are like, how convenient. <laughs> but I was like, when the father saw the situation, he didn't see me, he saw the son. When he looked down and saw the brokenness, when he looked down and saw death, when he looked down and saw the problem at hand, all of a sudden I had an intervener. All of a sudden, I had someone who stood in my place, and all of a sudden, we reconciled the situation, and it all worked out. The dog was actually sick, and he knew it. He just didn't tell me about it, right? So it was a big thing that, that didn't have to come to anything, but Cody stood in my place. Cody bought time with the father. Cody, when the father saw the situation, he saw the son. And I want to challenge you to understand that if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, God doesn't see you. He sees the son. And what does he see? Forgiven paid for, justified, righteous, made clean, made right, made new. But you got to have a relationship with the Son to be seen in the eyes of the Father. Do you have that today? Does God look at you and see your messy situation? Or does God look at you and see what the Son has done in your place? you got to stand forgiven. And the only way to have that is through Christ the Son and what he's done for you. Cody bailed me out, but Jesus bought me and Jesus brought me in. And he sees my debt paid in full. That's what we see. We see the sufficiency of Christ, that he is able to save us, able to cleanse us, able to purify us. But here's number two. We see the supremacy of Christ. Sufficiency of Christ. Then number two, we see the supremacy of Christ. Now let's go on to verse four. We're going to read some interesting texts. You're going to wonder what, what, what transition, what took place, why did this happen, where are we going? Well, it says in verse 4, he says again, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Or of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of brightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And it says, your Lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Talking about the sufficiency of Christ, and all of a sudden we talk about angels. And it feels like a weird transition. Like, what, why are we talking about angel worship? 
Was there a confusion? With, I mean, I'm not confused by angel worship. Why was there confusion? Apparently, in this context, in these Hebrews, these Christians, these born-again believers in Jesus, there was an issue with angel worship. There was some confusion on the roles of angels within the church and the roles of angels within the history of God's people. And so Jesus, he reveals God to us. He represents us before God. He reconciles with God and he alone, watch this, here's what the Hebrews writer is proving, he reigns alone with God. He's the only one equal with God because he is God. Because it says when Jesus sat down, he sat down on a throne and his enemies were his footstool. And so the evidence of his sovereign royalty is that he is superior to all things. Even the things in heaven, he is superior to. The angels, they acknowledge him as their king. They don't need a prophet. They don't need a priest, but they do have a king that they serve. They do have a king they serve, and apparently this was an issue of confusion for these believers. Now, here's what we know. Angels, they are created beings. We don't die and become angels, all right? Your your loved ones don't die and become your guardian angels. Your loved ones, if they're in Christ, they go to glory, all right? So we don't die and become angels. Angels are created beings. They are the servants of God. They are holy, heavenly spirits who serve God as messengers, intercessors, comforters, and so much more within the Old Testament. They are dazzling super beings with massive power, often referred to in Scripture as living creatures, cherubim, and seraphim. That's who angels are. And some were falling away into angel worship because of the massive role that angels would play in the Old Testament history. What's so powerful about angels? Well, they were present at creation. You go back and read that in Genesis. They they were placed at the entrance to the Garden of Eden, They guarded the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant. They were used by God to deliver word after word after word to His people in the Old Testament. Angels are actively involved in the entire Old Testament narrative. And when you open the New Testament, who do you find at the very beginning in the Christmas story? All the angels at work, right? They're ministering and delivering good news with great joy to shepherds in the field. They're always revealing God's Word to God's people. And because angels were the closest thing to God, they, they were up there. These believers thought by maybe if we worship angels, that these angels might serve as a mediator between us and God. These angels will, will deliver between me and God. They'll be our intercessors. But in doing so, they mistakenly placed a messenger in place of honor that should only be occupied by God himself. Now, here's a statement that you, you can kind of take to the bank here about angels. Angels are the messengers, but Christ is the message. They don't replace that. And angels are the servants, but Christ, he's the son. They don't replace that either. And so you'll notice in the the defense of the supremacy of Christ, what do we have from verse 5 through 14? Well, we have seven Old Testament passages as a number of completions. Seven Old Testament passages referred to to give us a complete understanding of why Jesus is better. Verse 5, angels are not sons, only Christ is the Son. Verse 6, angels, they are actually worshipers of Christ and and not objects of our worship. Verses 7 and 9, angels are ministers created to serve. They're not created to do anything else but serve the will of God. Verses 10 through 12, angels are created beings. They are not self-sufficient. They didn't create themselves, and they're dependent upon their creator, whereas Christ, he is the beginning and the end. Verse 13 and 14, Christ, he is alone, seated at the right hand of power. No one else sits with him or sits next to him because not only were angels ministers created to serve Christ, they were ministers created to serve you. They were given to us. Now if the angels and all creation itself worship the Son, 
Here's the argument. How much more should you and I? If the angels in all creation worships God in spirit and truth, how much more should you and I? He's not just important. Christ is first. He is infinitely worthy of our praise, infinitely worthy of our worship. He is first. Now, now you see all this picture taking place here, and here's what I want to challenge you with as we, as we wrap up this first chapter of Hebrews. We, we understand this. Nothing falls apart in Christ. He upholds the universe of the word of his power. He is not created. He is the one who is creator. All right, he is worthy of all praise and adoration and worship. He is alone the one who sits on a throne because he alone is the one who did for us what we could never do for ourselves by dying for our sins in our place. He is better. Is he better for you? See everything for you. Are you still lacking? Are you still missing? Are you here and your life's falling apart and you're wondering, God, how in the world are you going to put this mess back together? Back in 2005, I went to a, a night of worship with my wife in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and we heard for the very first time something I presented to you before, but it's been several years and a lot of you have never heard this. I want to present it to you again. It's a, one of those illustrations that I, I've never, ever forgotten about. So back in 2005, I go to a, a ministry night with Chris Tomlin and Louis Giglio. And Lou Giglio that night is talking about an illustration about the supremacy of Christ, an illustration that Christ holds all things together. And so we understand that, that God is an intentional God, God is a creative God, and God is a God who always does things on purpose. And I understand how now Christ holds all things together. You want to hear it? Here's how God holds our bodies together. It's a word called laminin. All right, everyone's got that, right? You know exactly what laminin is, Right? All right, laminin. No, you have no idea. I had no idea. I never like, what the world is laminin? And so laminin is a cell adhesive protein molecule. All right, so within the human body, because in our bodies, cells are organized into certain molecular structures, and those structures determine what kind of protein that they are and what their function is within the body of a human. And so laminin, it is the rebar in the human body. All right, when you pour a pad of concrete, usually you lay some rebar down to structure it and to hold it together to make sure it doesn't fall apart, to make sure it doesn't crumble, make sure it doesn't crack. And so laminin becomes that one thing in the human body that holds our bodies together. And so laminin is so important within the creation of God's design of your body. And God, how did he design laminin? Here's a molecular structure of the shape of laminin. Looks like that. Is God intentional or is God accidental? God showed us at the very beginning that laminin within us, it is the rebar. It holds us together and it's in the shape of a cross. And here's the picture of an actual image of this protein within the human body. And here's how it looks on the next image, Brother Jim. If you show that for us, it's right there. It's in the shape of a cross. Why? Because Christ holds all things together. If your life is falling apart, if you can't understand why nothing's sticking, if you can't understand why, why you're not satisfied, if you can't understand why, why is everything crumbling to the edges, why can't I have it all, it's because you don't have Christ as the center of your life. He's not just important, he's first. He's got to be it. He's not just something you add to your life, he must be your life because he alone is sufficient, he alone is supreme, he alone is worthy of our worship. Do you have him? Are you being held together? Because if you're honest, a lot of things fall apart in your hands. You can't hold much together at all. You can barely hold your stress together, right? 
You can barely hold your day together, but Christ holds it all. Let's pray, find ourselves in Christ today, and that's going to be our invitation right now. As our worship team comes to lead us, I want to challenge you first and foremost today, if you are here and you don't know who Christ is, would you be willing to say, Jesus, I don't know you, but I want to. Jesus, I know that you are the one who died in my place. Jesus, I believe that you are the way, the truth, and life. And Jesus, like those six this morning, I want to give testimony that you have changed my life. I receive, I believe, and I confess that Jesus Christ, you are Lord. Would you be willing to do that today? If you're here with shame, if you're here with guilt, if you're here and your life is literally falling apart, would you call upon the name of Jesus and be saved? Would you trust in Him as your Lord and Savior? Trust in Him that He can hold you together. Trust that He atones alone for your sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the sacrifice, that you are the substitute. And then for the church, for you who belong to Jesus, would you, one, be so thankful that when Christ stands in our place, God sees Him and not you. He sees His righteousness and not yours. He sees forgiveness, justification, righteousness. He sees what Christ has done for you. And then would you walk in that today? Would you walk in what He holds together? Would you walk in the joy of the life that Christ gives you full of fruit and freedom? And we just confess that Jesus, I'm falling apart, but you hold me together. I'm clinging to you. Be the center of my life. And so, Father, we come before you today thankful and grateful that, Jesus, you change lives. And, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for anyone in this room that doesn't know you, would they be willing to say right now, I'm ready to follow you, Jesus. God, would you convict them? Would you change them? Would you call them by name? And would they come running? God, do the work of salvation in this place. And then, God, I pray for the work of sanctification in this place as well for those who are in Christ. Right now, they begin to rest in your sufficiency and rest in your supremacy. You are worthy. We follow you. We submit to you. You are our king. You sit down and we give our lives to you, Jesus. Take us, send us, use us, mold us, make us. God, we're yours. Would that be our confession today? In Jesus' name that we pray and God's people said, amen. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.